You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. All right, welcome to this week's episode of The Knock-On Effect. I'm Alex Rosenberg, joined here by Jake Merle. Jake, Jake, I would say, is is almost the uh, Chris Novoselic of, of Real Vision. You know, the, the bass player from the Nirvana. Whatever you say, Alex. Yeah, it's, he, it's great to be here. He, he's, he's, he's kind of uh, uh, behind the scenes uh, of a lot of our, our hit shows um, and, and working here as an editor. And, uh, and we're going to talk a bit about a conversation that I had on on Twitter, a bit of a Twitter battle, and and uh, Jake's views on it. So it should be should be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Let's do it. All right. So uh, so on the weekend, I don't know why I even did this, much less I'm talking about it now. But um, I saw a tweet from uh, from an, the you know most people know that account Pomp. Uh, uh, I don't. What's his first name? His his handle is uh, a a. Uh, his first name is in crypto. No, it's his his handle is, is a Pompliano, um, and he, he's a, a founder and partner at Morgan Creek Digital. And he tweeted something that that just it, it got my Irish up a bit. I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to say that anymore, but but he said, um, and I'm just quoting here the, the original tweet: "Inflation is the greatest cause of income inequality in the modern world. Bitcoin provides an alternative deflationary monetary system. Slowly, people will opt out of the legacy system and opt into the new one." Welcome to a better world. And listen, I don't generally. I used to get more Twitter spats, and now I think I've I've matured as as a as a as a man and as a tweeter. And but but th- but this I responded. I just said, you know, this gets it exactly wrong. Inflation hurts those who have money now. And you know, if you want the whole gory argument, you can check out my mentions. But but basically, I, my Twitter handle, by the way, is at Aces Rose. Um, you know, but he responded, you know, that's incorrect. Inflation steals from the poor who are all cash and riches. The rich, since real asset prices rise, and I responded, "Well, the poor don't have cash. That's actually what makes them poor." Um, and you know, the, the argument kind of continued very civilly, I will say, with um, with with pomp and with some other people. There's one. Uh, there, I, I want to know your your views on it, Jake. But there's there's one tweet I just have to mention um, from someone named Alex Allegro at One Allegro, who actually deleted this tweet. But what he said first was, you know, I I, I said that. Um, you know, the poor may have money and cash, but they just don't have much cash. Inflation hurts those who have money now, basically. And he said, what you're saying, I'm quoting here, what you're saying sounds like prices of housing is crashing. Oh, that's great for me. I'm homeless, so I'm not losing money. And he added, LOL, which I think 
he actually provided a really good example of why I'm right. If I, if, because because the point is, not I'm not saying that a housing crash is good, just as I'm not saying that inflation is good necessarily. All I'm saying is that um, just as just as a housing crash hardly hurts a homeless person at all, but is really horrifying for someone who who owns a house. Um, it's the same thing with with inflation. It it hardly hurts those who don't have money. Um, it actually might help those who who take out loans, but that's another story. But it it's very uh, bad for those who have a ton of money. Uh, uh, so anyway, that that that's my argument. And and the reason we're doing this podcast is because Jake walked in on Monday morning. He said, "Oh, I, I saw your your little Twitter fight." Um, he's he's like, "You're right, but you're also wrong." And uh, and that intrigued me. And and we. We haven't had actually had a chance before now to, uh, to talk about this. So, so Jake, I'll, I'll let you kind of, I am very curious your, your perspective on this. Yeah, Alex. So I think you're absolutely right that inflation is a wealth transfer from people with money. But I think it's uh, the wealth transfers to people with money to people who are spending that newly created money. I think of it as monetary inflation. So once that money is created through lending and credit through commercial banks and the fractional reserve banking system, where does it go? Who spends it? What do they spend it on? Do they not spend it at all? Then you get, uh, you know, the the traditional uh, things like consumer price inflation or asset price inflation, deflation, and this is all a function of you know the, the business cycle and demographics, interest rates. But I think what uh, Alex um, wants to talk about is that inflation affects rich people more than it affects poor people, and that's kind of like the the crux of like the argument. And while by definition I think this is true because rich people have more money than poor people, as Alex just kind of said with that uh, that home example that uh, that he had on Twitter. Um, but inflation basically destroys the value of that money. Therefore, it's logical to think that inflation is worse for rich people. While I think that makes sense, in my opinion, it in reality doesn't really work out that way. So through the um, rich people uh, avoid this taxation by uh, using their capital to buy assets. Mm-hmm. And that uh, infl- the, basically inflation forces them into those assets. And that provides them a real yield as the assets rise faster than the CPI. I know that Alex will argue that inflation forces these rich people to lend their money out to poor people, but I disagree. And I think they would just rather buy the assets um, or lend it out to other rich people who then would buy assets. And by the way, when I say rich people, I mean, you know, wealthy individuals, financial institutions and intermediaries, asset allocators and and banks who are all involved uh, in this process. But um, as Alex rightly points out on his Twitter storm and in his article, uh, inflation affects rich people tremendously, but they still get that real yield because they're kind of, you know, not cheating the system, but in in a little way, they're avoiding that taxation that uh, poor people just can't seem to avoid. And so um, they can also borrow uh, more money to then buy assets and get that real yield. Um, so that, that helps them uh, avoid inflation. On the other hand, poor people see their cost of living rise dramatically. Uh, rich people do as well, but it affects their uh, marginal propensity to consume uh, much more uh, than rich people. Like, for example, let's say you have someone in their bank account who has a million dollars and $100,000 gets wiped out 10%. Yeah, that sucks. That person's going to be really, really mad, and it's terrible. And a hundred grand nominally is a lot amount. Is a lot of money. But if you have someone whose bank account is, let's say, ten grand, and they get one grand wiped out, ten percent, 
you know, that's going to affect their uh, spending, their consumer patterns. That's really going to affect their lifestyle. It, it really hits home and it really hurts them. Um, and, and so I think that that spread, that, that delta of, you know, not just looking at it nominally or saying, thinking about it logically, but just thinking about it, how it affects that person, it, I think it hurts poor people more than it hurts uh, rich people. Um, at the same time, they, they take on debt not to invest, but to consume. And uh, the spread they have on their credit cards is higher than the rate of inflation. So they, they are paying that real yield, while on the other hand, rich people are receiving that real yield through through assets. Right. But, but, but even if their cost of living increases, then um, their, their salaries are also rising. I mean, that that's what inflation is. It's costs rise, wages rise. I mean, everything rises. Um, and and this is something, by the way, that it was it was very interesting, almost sociologically. People's uh, on, on Twitter were were saying, oh, you know, people are still making fifteen dollars an hour, still making the same wage. And even one person even tweeted at me the chart of real wages from from Fred, and I was like, yeah, see how the line is going up. I mean, it's not exactly skyrocketing, but but that's after, you know, I was like, okay, maybe I got a little angry. And I was, I was tweeting while walking, you know, I was walking with, with Michelle and uh, she was like steering me through, through the intersections, like, oh, step up. Oh, watch out. There's a car. Cause I was anyway, uh, but um, I was maybe getting a little mad, but I was like, you know, that's after inflation. Right. So I guess the, the point I, I, I would respond with is that, is that, Hey, and, and you know their cost of living is rising, their wages are rising. They're not necessarily doing better with inflation, but but they're they're you know breaking even as, as far as their standard of living goes. You know, I, I agree. That's what you know the data says, and that's that's accurate. And if you just think about wage push and inflation, that's definitely correct as well. And you could look at uh, correlations between wages and the CPI, and you're absolutely right. But what that misses is almost not. Uh, not to say the other side of the, the the balance sheet, but is is their debt burden is just rising faster and faster, and that interest spread uh, is rising faster than let's say that their purchasing power just staying flat. So in reality, as their debt burden gets worse, and let's say their purchasing power stays the same or rises constant, they're actually slowly uh, deteriorating. If you were to, I don't know, in, in my opinion, if you were to you know plot that out, but um, I did want to uh, say one other thing about that. Um, not talking about uh, manipulated data or data that's wrong, but um, if you were to really think about it, you know, wage data would never ever be overstated because that would, you know, uh, compress margins for corporations. So if anything, uh, it's been not understated. I'm not saying it is at all, but I'm saying there's no reason to overstate it. But there is a big incentive to understate the CPI, which uh, there's been many critiques uh, in the in the past. And so, and so you get into that and, and you start looking at the spreads and it's just like, it, it, it's not in the favor of the poor, but my, my main point, um, to why I think, you know, poor people are, are, are getting crushed here is the debt burden and the mechanism of how money is created. I think it goes to rich people first and poor people second, and, uh, they're kind of getting, uh, shafted that way. Okay. So I, I want to, I want to, let, let's, let's go part by part here. So, um, I mean, first of all, like, yeah, yeah, you know, you can have your quibbles with CPI, but but C, but CPI PCE, there was that there was that million uh, good study, right? Didn't didn't someone at Harvard do this million good study? I mean, like, 
you, you, only people who are like, even tin hats at, at this point are saying there's inflation. Like you have to be wearing like some very heavy material on your head to say that that inflation is, you know, 5% or 10% or, I mean, right. I, I, I mean, and, and you go outside in, in the real world, it's like prices are, are seem to be rising at like a moderate pace year over year. It's not like you're paying way more for things. And, and I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that data is understated, first of all. I don't, I don't think it's understated either, but I'm saying there's no incentive for it. Um, you know what I mean? There's no, there, there, it, it, there's no reason for it to be uh, to overstated. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> fine. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But, 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 but getting back to, um, you, you made a point about debt and about, about a debt burden rising, but just to put it in really um, simple terms, I mean, uh, I, I, I want you to explain that point a little more because, of course, if, if I borrowed $100, I'm supposed to pay back $110. Um, if that $110 because of inflation is really only worth $90, well, then I actually got a pretty good deal on my loan. So inflation is, is good for those who are taking out loans and bad for those who are, who are holding loans waiting to get repaid. No? So, so I'm kind of confused about your debt burden point. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, inflation is to help debtors and not creditors. But I think that the, the yield uh, the debtors have to pay is higher than um, what they actually have in inflation. So they actually have to pay out that real yield, while on the other hand, uh, rich people uh, can borrow um, and then use that money to invest at a higher yield, and they're receiving that real yield. Yeah. So so I, I guess if I was to, to summarize your overall point, is it is it having to do more with the mechanics of the monetary system as it exists yes. today? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's maybe where Pomp is coming in uh, with the with the Twitter sphere um, fight about Bitcoin um, because it, it is the mechanism. It is who gets that dollar first, who spends it first, what do they spend it on. Um, that, that kind of is the core. I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's called the Cantillion effect. I know there's economists oh, yeah. that, that call it that. Um, that's one way to look at it. So, so it's it's interesting. I mean, and part of uh, just to broaden out the conversation a bit, uh, you know, and, and you referred to an article I wrote. I, I, the, the part of the reason it made me so angry is because one of my my criticisms of not of Bitcoin, but just of the idea of Bitcoin taking over the world and being, you know, what so much wealth is stored in and what so many transactions are done in. And one of and it's a point kind of brought up by by Mike Green, um, and he, he sort of talked about it with Tim Draper in a recent interview on Real Vision, which I'd encourage you to check out. Realvision.com/slash/knock-on-effect. Grab a 14-day free trial. All right, I got the plug in early this time. Um, you know, he talked about the, the idea that there's a reason we have inflation, and and if we have it, so of all the Bitcoin that's ever going to be mined, um, I don't know, 15 or 16 million are around. Maybe three million have been lost. And you know another two million are going to be mined. I'm, I'm getting the numbers slightly wrong, but m- my point is that well, well over two thirds of all the Bitcoin that will ever exist is already being held, and it's being held by 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 rich people, by people who have some money to spare to to buy a speculative asset. And I'm not trying to weigh in on whether that was a good bet or not. What I'm saying is that if Bitcoin does take over the world, um, that will lead to massive deflation and all the gains of the world's economy will adhere to the people who have already bought bitcoin. So so the reason that, that I was so was made so angry by by the tweet was not only do I disagree with the idea that inflation 
is a cause of wealth inequality. I also think that if we do have a deflationary environment in which Bitcoin rules the roost, it will be a world of massive, massive, massive increases in inequality with the gains going to people like Pomp, um, who, who might have bought Bitcoin early on. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thought to think about. You know, he his whole point is to, you know, reduce wealth inequality, yet Bitcoin right now kind of it could potentially uh, increase wealth inequality if Bitcoin were to become that global reserve asset. And again, how would that mechanism work, um, you know, to make sure that everyone has the right amount of, you know, Satoshis or wh- uh, whatever uh, the proper term is? <laughs> right. right. And, and, with, and with no government intermediating. And I mean, this is, uh, I, I know some of you uh, listening are going to disagree with this, but I like the fact that the government has a say. I, I mean, because the government is, is the people. Like, I, I like that as a member of our democracy, I have a say in in what interest rates are, in in how, um, in what the rate of inflation is, and how, how inequality is spread. I mean, like, like, just as a very simple thought experiment, if everyone woke up tomorrow and said, the Fed shouldn't target 2% inflation, they should target 2% deflation. And everyone voted for the president, for the members of Congress, based on that belief, the target would go from 2% inflation to 2% deflation. It would happen. The president would take out Powell and and put in, you know, uh, Peter Schiff or, you know, whatever name you want, you want to put. So, so the fact that we have a say over a monetary policy, that's something we would totally lose with Bitcoin. And I don't, I don't think that's such a good thing. Yeah. I mean, we could also tie that back to the, uh, the inflation discussion we were, we were just having, because essentially what you just said is that uh, value is subjective. It's what mm-hmm. kind of what you think it is or what you say it is, what everyone believes it it is. Mm -hmm. And so going back to inflation, I think, um, yes, uh, demographics, and I know this is a little off gear from the the Bitcoin, but demographics and uh, the business cycle definitely dominate uh, inflationary pressures and deflationary pressures um, over time. But I think in in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's the equation M times V, um, you know, um, how much money is there and how much of it is moving around velocity. And so the velocity is based on confidence and trust and is subjective uh, based on the currency. And so I, 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 I don't know, it just, just my opinion is that over time, uh, inflation is actually just a function of uh, velocity and um, which is actually just subjective value. So, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here because, uh, because you and I do think differently about the world, which, which is always, uh, always interesting to me. So if, um, because if I was made uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve uh, today, I, I wouldn't pursue radically different policies, um, you know, than, than, than you know, current leadership or really the last two chairs of the Fed, I don't think. Um, I, I think that this is sort of, we're sort of going in the right direction. Uh, you know, even though if we're moving the wrong direction regarding inequality, you know, maybe, maybe there was a better way to do it than QE um, to, to save the economy. You know, I, I don't really think the, what the Fed's doing is massively wrong. I'm curious your perspective. Like, if you were made chair of the Fed, like, what what kind of how how would you like to see monetary policy done differently to to make this world a better place? Well, I mean, yes, we definitely think differently, to, to, <laughs> to, to, to say the least. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would let you know interest rates rip. I would just let them do what they're going to do. Let the market do what it's going to do. Perhaps think about. Um, involving uh, gold in some sort as a reference point or a, for stability regarding uh, currencies for, for trade, um, which is a, you know, a huge topic that everyone's talking about. If we just had stable currencies, we wouldn't have to deal with any of these issues 
And, uh, you know, we could just pony up some gold at the end of the year and, and call it uh, <laughs> a year. Uh, yeah, call, call it a day. Um, do, do you, so, so, sorry to interrupt, but how, so how, would, how would that impact the landscape of uh, wealth inequality, do you think? I think you have to get the money creation mechanism out of fewer hands and into, you know, a, a set system based on market forces. Um, I think that's how you reduce wealth inequality and also the basics, um, education. We've, you know, terrible education that's compared to, to other countries. Certainly true. You, you know, you have to teach a man to fish uh, yeah. in order, you know, or else he, he's not going to get anywhere. Oh, yeah. I, I think we would both agree that like monetary policy is not the main cause of, of wealth inequality. It's just um, there's there's many, many uh, causes, I think, whether it's regulation, whether we have these duopolies or monopolies, mm-hmm. oligopolies um, here in the United States. Um, across many different industries, um, you know, corporate profit margins at all-time high, whether it's cronyism uh, with the government. There's uh, a whole um, – there's many different areas where uh, wealth inequality uh, is being affected right now. So now how – just because just we're down this rabbit hole, like how do you think um, interest rates would let, – let, let's just take uh, – uh, you know, the, the two-year yield. I don't know what the two-year yield is at today, but how do you think that level would change if um, if the Fed basically, you know, just let banks lend each other w- w- at overnight deposits at whatever rate banks want to lend each other? Because personally, I, I I don't think policy is so stimulative today. And and for a lot of the crisis, I think actually rates would have been lower than, than had the Fed been involved. So that that's why they had to introduce the... Um on excess reserves, the interest on excess reserves, because right. it forced the you know them to hold their capital rather than lend it, then that would force down interest rates, right? Because there'd be a, an abundance of liquidity. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't have a crystal ball to know how you know the the two year would would react in that uh, <laughs> environment. But um, you know, I I think given normal market forces, interest rates should be much higher than they are now. Um, that being said. I don't think that viewpoint is based on demographics. I think that viewpoint is based on not having trust in hmm. U.S. currency and U.S. bonds and U.S. government officials that foreign foreign governments may not have that trust in, in, in our government. So that is a risk. Um, but from a de- demographic standpoint, you know, yields should definitely continue falling. So, so, just, so let, let, let's just finish off uh, where, we, where we started off. Um, it, it, it sounds like what, what you're saying to me is, uh, that in a theoretical world, yes, um, inflation does reduce wealth inequality, but the way the financial system is set up now, um, that that's not the case. So would, would the policies that you would pursue as, a as Fed chair, uh, Jake Merle. And I think you are tall enough for, for Trump, you know, if, if you were to be uh, chair of the Fed. That's a big dude. I That's, mean, what is it? Powell? Six, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's bigger than uh, than Janet, who, who I love. But, uh, wow. Just slightly. That, 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 is there a more controversial statement to make on a Real Vision podcast than, than espousing love for Janet Yellen? Anyway, so um, it sounds like what you're saying is if um, – monetary conditions were more quote unquote normal re- more resembled the monetary conditions of let's say the uh, the 50s uh in the United States that inflation inflation's impact on wealth inequality would be more th- the way it looks in the textbooks is just that we're in such a topsy turvy world 
um, that that inflation is actually benefiting the rich rather than the poor. I think we live in a debt-based monetary system that needs inflation, and the rich know this, and they avoid that taxation through asset price inflation while the poor are holding the bag. All right. Very well put. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna gonna agree or disagree, but it, but it's it's a very interesting perspective, and uh, you know, this is this thing is that this debate in a podcast booth versus on Twitter, uh, you know, much less uh, less angry. It's, def- it's definitely more civil. Not only more civil, but but I don't need Michelle guiding me through the sidewalk so that I can pay attention to it. Um, okay, well, well, thanks for joining us this week in the Knock and Fact. Thank you so much, Jake, for uh, sitting in here. Yeah, enjoyed it. And, uh, and yeah, you can check out a new episode every Thursday night. Check out the uh, video version. I think we're going to be back next week on realvision.com slash knockoneffect and, and grab your 14-day free trial to check out that interview with Tim Draper in addition to many others. Okay. Goodbye. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.